You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. Always never, never know what's, what's going to come out of my mouth at the opening of these things. I've got compliance. <laughs> Kevin McKinnon. Life of try. Here we are. Uh, welcome back to you, sir. Apparently, you're not well. You're not in a good shape at the moment. The old body's let you down, mate. How, how are you? Talk me through it. Oh, I'm, I'm just. I'm going to be fine. I've just got. I, they think that I have this weird, uh, very rare thing called piriformis syndrome, and it's where the piriformis fires and sets the uh, sciatic nerve on fire. And yeah, it's. Uh, probably from uh, having sat for an insane amount of time on planes and trains and automobiles. Actually, I did do automobiles as well. So there you go. Um, anyway, I uh, yes, I'm I'm going to live. Don't worry, hmm. I'm going to be around to uh, torment you for many years to come. Well, that, that's a good thing, of course. You know, you, I know your legion of fan. There's only one of them. Um, we'll be happy to hear that. Um, and it's also good too that in a country like yours, in a developing nation, that you can get access to medical help, which is great. So well done. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Just a drive-by to start with. Um uh do you know what? Can I can I get a couple of things off my chest? Oh, I'm sure you're going to, whether or not I agree <laughs> to it or not. All right. The first thing is trivial as hell. But if you listen to this podcast often enough, you know that trivial and me work hand in hand we're in lockstep dual climate control cars what is it right when you jump into a car and you've got two dials to control the uh temperature in a car when you're sitting 30 centimeters away from somebody what do car manufacturers think that we're stupid like do they think that we're really stupid that you can control one side of where you're sitting versus one side where i'm sitting and it's going to be a different climate because a friend of mine was in the car the other day and he said oh well I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm a little bit cool i'm going to turn it down i'm like what do you mean you're turning it down i said if you turn it down you turn it down for everybody well no it's dual control i said no it's not this is the dumbest thing on the planet and i got really agitated and I need to feel that I need to air that with you, Kevin, because I feel that you're a man of the people and you'll understand this as being uh, just a complete ripoff with the car manufacturing world. I know it's got nothing to do with triathlon. I don't care. Ripoff. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, you just need to have a car where it actually works. Um, now, that all of that said, our car doesn't have dual controls, but I've been in them where they where that do, and um, it works. Oh, Kevin. Enough, so. Oh, Kevin, yep. come on, man. I expected yeah. support from you on this. Mind-boggling. Not... I know, Phil, but um, invest in a in a reasonable car and you'll be amazed. I've got a reasonable car. It's the heated seats and, and I get all that and it works and it's, you know, nothing like getting a heated seat working. But dual climate, come on, man. Oh, anyway. Hey, a lot of racing to get through. Before we talk about more vehicle issues, that's it. Your complaint was about, oh yeah, my goodness! Go ahead. I've been storing this for a week, and I actually even wrote it down because I was so angry at the car ride that I had, and I thought this guy's a joke. So no more driving in my car, you dual climate loving freak. Um, the other thing that I'm annoyed about is when anybody runs next to somebody in a triathlon. Yeah, pros we're talking that 
everybody jumps on the iron war. It's iron war. Holy shit balls, Kevin. Iron See, War. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Like Iron War, it, you, you pretty much. Well, it was it was close enough. No. Um, for seventeen miles. No. Here's here's what I'm going to say. So Iron War, basically, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, they swam together, they biked together, they ran twenty three and a bit miles together, and then finally Mark was able to get clear. Right. So at least in this time when people were saying it, um, you know, uh, Lionel was 10 seconds behind after the swim. Gustav basically, you know, did exactly what he needed to and sat in like he led for whatever it was, a few miles of the bike before Lionel went flying by. Um, but then, you know, but, Gustav but before, wasn't going to take a pull, as did no. Mark Allen. Mark Allen just marked moves. Uh, in the Iron War, and then at least they ran together for 17 miles. So yeah, that's but, closer. Like that's closer to the um, you know sort of quote unquote Iron War than a lot of the other ones have been, where they've just sort of started running together for a little while, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, it's the Iron War." Well, no, they have to be next to each other, hammering each other for six or seven hours for it to really even come close to that. Yeah, look, I'm not going to dispute. And we'll get into the racing at Florida. But what I'm completely, what people don't understand, and you understand this, but a lot of people don't understand was that 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 Iron War was a clash of two dudes who just flat out didn't like each other, right? Of, you know, two guys who had been at each other racing. There was a whole history between those two men. There was a whole way of life. There was a whole, you know, how they conducted themselves. There was a whole everything about that and how they were. There was not – Iron War is Iron War. There's never going to be another one. There will never, ever, ever be something as historic as that race ever for what it was worth, for the build-up, for the fact that the two dudes didn't like each other, for the hype around it. Iron War was the definitive – Ironman race. It will never be beaten because there's no scenario that sits to that. So I think, and this is coming from Ironman's social media clown, who whoever it is, clearly doesn't understand what Iron War is, clearly doesn't understand the historical relevance of that event and and what that meant. Um, And he's just someone who likes to throw Iron War around because they're a clown. And you are a clown if you're listening, clown. Okay, so can I so yeah. Yeah, just to so one of the things I don't overblow the sort of animosity between the two. I don't think there like that wasn't as much of a factor. Like of the big four, Mark was, you know, certainly not. I don't know if he would have been the most po- popular of them. Mark was, um, you know, when I, I did a, a podcast with him uh, when the first year of Iron Man Nice. Um, and he was over there. And um, I, I remember partway through the podcast saying, when did you mellow out? Like, when did you? And he was like, no, Kevin, I've always been like this. You just, you know, people didn't know me. And um, so he, he was, you know, he was just so intense. That was the, that was the thing about Mark. He was just so intense um, that, uh, and and so I don't know that there there's the animosity. Here's the thing that I think really um, defined the Iron Man, Iron War for me. And mm. it was the fact that Mark Allen 
needed to win that race so badly for for his sort of status in the sport. So, you know, you got to go back. What was it? You know, five times he's um, been just cremated or just annihilated by Dave in Kona, right? Like um, when I first raced in Kona in 87, yeah. um, I came across the Malina, line. And, wasn't it? Uh, what's that? Who won 87? Was that... Um... That was Dave Scott, but it, and so um, as I'm on my way to the medical tent, um, <laughs> I said to I said to my wife, um, "Did Mark hold him off?" And she and she said, "You're really out of it. Um, he wasn't even close." <laughs> and I'm like, and so later I tried to explain to her, like out on the highway on the Queen K, Mark was way up, like he was way ahead, and um, and I ended up in the medical tent next to Mark. Um, for like, I, th- I can't remember how many IVs I had that day. Um, but he ended up being there for a little bit and then they had to take him off to the hospital. So two Didn't years have, later, um, sorry, wasn't he having nosebleeds on the bike in 87? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he really put himself out there. Right. So two years later, 89, um, the iron war year, I still remember coming into the end of the bike and they were on the way out. Um, for the run. So they'd already run up the hill, they'd run down, they'd come along and, and I, you know, I'm still trying to finish the damn bike and they're however many miles into the run. And I just remember looking at the two of them and thinking, oh my God, are they ever running fast? And then I thought, and oh my God, don't, they look awful. Like they were just killing each other um, that early in the run. Um, and so I finished the race. I end up in the medical tent. This time they had to pack me in ice and I was four IVs and, and the whole bit. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, and who's in, the, who's in the cot next to me again is Mark Allen. And I looked at Mark and I said, holy crap, Mark, we need to stop doing this. And I said, <laughs> did, did you get it this time? And he said, yeah, I got it. And, um, and, he, and I said, oh, well, hey, congratulations. And he said, well, I congratulate you, but you look awful. <laughs> like, hey, thanks a lot. That's awesome. So, but so you know, you, so Mark and I asked this of uh, Dave Scott in '94 when he sort of came back. Um, you know, I said, "Did Mark need to win that race more than you?" And uh, he got really upset. And said, you'll have to ask Mark that. Um, but you know, that's that's the thing that you have to understand the intensity of Mark Allen and just the need like because if he doesn't win that race so Dave Scott wins gets his seventh win um, and retires Mark Allen goes down in history as the guy who could like you know he was good he maybe goes on to win five six Ironman titles but he never beat Dave and that's what was so critical about that day yeah but so you've got to admit then so Based on that, and those love those memories, they're awesome. Um, you know the the fact that so Iron Walks just shouldn't be thrown out there. It just you just can't throw it there because some dudes running next to some other dude. Because there's a whole backstory to that. You know, Iron War was one race. You just can't label that to anything. You know, give it a new name, give it a different tag, do what you need to do. But I just think it 
does a real disservice to the history. Now, triathlon doesn't have a lot of history to hang its hat on. It just doesn't. It's not like the, you know, the Tour de France or the monuments to cycling that we see where, you know, there's been epic races and huge heroics and massive controversy and all the other stuff that you see in a bike race. Um, triathlon needs to hang on to that, which made it so popular. Like, of course, you know, Julie Moss. Um, and then you fast forward to, you know, um, Sean Welsh in a similar state, or you look at um, Iron War, or you look at you know the the big four as you said. So you know guys like Tinley who was charismatic as hell, and then you know Molina. You know they all had nicknames and they all were different individuals. Welsh and Paulie Kiru and, and that kind of stuff. I mean they were a different breed back then. They had better hair, better moustaches. They looked better. <laughs> Um, they used a lot of good hair product. Clearly, they had a, you know, today's pros have nothing on them in terms of how they look. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I read it in the, um, the feed for Iron Man. I just thought, ah, oh, come on, man. It's not, it's not Iron War. Can't label it that. Find a new one. So, uh, I'm going to, you know, put, uh, the social media, bloke or woman or whoever it is into the bin for that one. I wasn't happy. So, yeah. And, and I think the, you know, the, the issue is it's, or not issue. It's, I don't think there's a huge deal, but yeah, it's just not totally getting um, that history and just, you know, not having been around, but I'm sure there are equivalents. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, well, in football, uh, when you watch American football, um, everyone's in the, the you, you know, all of the players are the best in the business and one of the greatest of all time and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I, I think there's a similar thing. You know, people are trying to hype stuff up. Um, but hey, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking history and not hyping up what was a pretty exciting day of racing. Yeah, I mean, I ran Florida produced a couple of very, very handy results. In the women's, Heather Jackson um, was the victor there. Um She's 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 just a project, I think. She's constantly evolving, um, and constantly uh, putting herself into really good positioning. Um, I like the fact that she won because I like her as a um, uh, just as someone a little bit different um, and not cut from the sort of normal cloth as other triathletes but she certainly is um uh, very very strong and it was nice to see her get a win because she'd had a bit of an, a bit of a rough patch um and nice to see she she did get the win because uh i follow her on the socials kevin and she seems very very sharp oh yeah no it doesn't i think there's not a pl- person on the planet who wasn't um happy for heather to to get that win and um yeah, you know, and, and it was uh, everyone really struggled in that swim. Holy jumping! Um, you know, the uh, obviously some big currents and big waves, and um, you know she was well back after the swim, but great, great bike and and solid run. And um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it was interest. Sarissa DeVries just um, after that stellar performance in uh, Almer earlier this year, just not able to hold things together through the run, unfortunately. And um, Imogen Simmons still just can't uh, quite figure out that marathon. Like she, um, 
you know, obviously has dialed in the 70.3 stuff with a third at the Worlds, but um, the Ironman is still proving pretty elusive for her because she put herself in a great position. Um, but, uh, you know, Heather Jackson, Sky Munch, just so solid and uh, did everything that they need to do. The, the You know, then as I wrote um, in the story that I posted yesterday, the thing for Heather, she's got to figure out that swim. Like, you know, she... she Swimming the way she is right now will always be a medal contender um, at the at the big races um, uh, like Kona and all that stuff. But, you know, you give Lucy Charles Barkley 10 or 11 or 12 minutes after the swim, you're not coming back. No, Um, you know, and and, um, so and Daniela Reef, you know, as she gets her life and and uh fitness back in order same deal you know give daniella 10 11 12 minutes you know they're not saying oh yeah you know we'll wait for you on the bike like they're gone they're biking as fast as you are they're running as fast as you are so um so that's that's the thing though it's just the sport um has evolved to the point and that um i don't know if you're okay with me segueing to um the men's race that's yeah, oh, just before we thing. get there, um, just yep. before we get there, Kevin, um, I will say uh, sub three hour marathons are not, you know, they they don't happen a lot. And Jackson did do the sub three, um, which was a, yeah. you know, very very handy effort. Shows as you said, um, she's got that running power. But yeah, I agree. I think if she, you know, like she's always there, and I I just don't know how much they give up on that bike after the swim but you know what um she's such a a cool person you know and i first met her on a training camp years ago uh in kona she was training in march for uh, a a team that she just joined the k-swiss trek team which was just been formed Uh, and i met her there and she was um she was amazing she was such a life force uh and you know really nice to see her win though because as i said she brings a lot to the sport and um the whole crew there no doubt Will be um, yeah oh yeah no, it doesn't it doesn't get better and Heather and Wadi they're uh, they're a great couple I've actually spent time with Heather's family um, and uh, you can immediately tell how she <laughs> became the person that she is once you meet her mom and dad and yeah just uh, just great so as I said not a person on the planet I don't think unhappy to see Heather Jackson win that one not not at all and as you said segueing to the dudes. Uh, how, I mean, we've, we've, we've discussed this at length, how many Ironmans you can do in a year. And, uh, uh, the Colonel, um, keeps, uh, keeps on keeping on Lionel Sanders. So, yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah. His fifth one, but, um, the big takeaway for me out of, out of that race, 10 seconds behind Gustav Eden and 18 seconds behind, uh, the leader, uh, Callan, uh, what was his first name? I can't remember Robert. his first name. Um, Uh, Yeah. So, you know, um, that's huge. Uh, Now, obviously, strength uh, played, you know, just being super strong played a factor um, with that swim. But anyway, just really amazing because that's, you know, in the same way that uh, Heather Jackson can't give up all that time, like for Lionel to compete against Jan Ferdano and Gustav down the road. Like I think Gustav's, you know, sent a pretty, pretty clear message that he can uh, run with the big boys, um, for, you know, to be competitive in Kona or in St. George next year, you, you're, you gotta be close out of the water. So 
huge, huge day for Lionel Sanders. Yes, he didn't get the win, but oh my goodness, uh, what an impressive performance. And uh, so I, I'm, I think he's got four seconds this year. You know, if you count the Tri-Battle Royale, second to Jan there, second to Cam Worf in Copenhagen, second to Joe Skipper in uh, Chattanooga, and then second to Gustav Eden in um, uh, in Florida. So um, I was sort of feeling like he's the uh, the Arnold Palmer to uh, Jack Nicholas, you know, just um, super popular, like possibly the, you know the most popular guy in the sport, and um, doesn't always get the wins, but people just love him for the gutty, gutty second place finishes. Yeah, and he keeps. He just keeps fronting. No one should have. I mean, no one in the world would have been surprised that Eden won. I, I, you know, I know he's untested. It makes no difference. I wouldn't have thought there was anybody who knew anything about the sport that was. I mean, obviously, the speed of uh, of Eden, Eden, however we want to pronounce his name. What do we call him? Gustav Eden. Let's go Eden then. I believe the 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 speed of what Eden put down the two thirty four. I mean, that's a pretty low number. There's no doubt. That's frightening. But, that's... but were you surprised though? I'm like, I'm not like we know how lightning he is. I'm like, well, when I saw that number, I went, "That's bloody quick." But I'm not sitting there going, "Oh my god, that's like we kind of expected it, didn't we?" Yeah, um, you know, I think he he definitely. Yeah, I wasn't super surprised. It's still. So, you know, Jan, uh, I was in Frankfurt when he did his first full distance. And the thing with Jan was he ended up walking a lot of that first marathon. Um, and uh, what was so funny was he was either running just over three-minute Ks, like, you know, 315 to 330s, or he was walking. Um, he, he just had no concept of how to move slowly. Um, whereas, uh, and, 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 and I really felt, and I think I said this last week, like if Gustav is patient and bides his time, then he's going to knock it out of the ballpark. So it was super helpful for him to have that, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it iron war scenario to have, thank <laughs> somebody, you. you know, have Cam, have Cam and have Lionel there to basically provide all the pacing. He just sits in and, and off he goes. Cause that's what's so difficult for um, for him uh, or for a first timer to figure out, especially when you're coming. You got to remember, this dude raced raced the Olympics um, in July, right? Like he he's used to going flat out. So very very impressive that he was able to pace himself that way. Yeah, it's it's mental. You know, when we were talking a little bit about history at the start of this, we you know we often referred to we did think last week too is, you know, the Mark Allens of the world, the Greg Welshers could do the win an Olympic distance world title, and then go and race Ironman in that October, and you know still be very, very good. So you know it's doesn't really um, surprise me that we're seeing this athlete because we've seen, you know, someone like that, but we haven't really seen someone racing. And then I guess at the pointy end and then going into the, the Ironman as well. Um, I mean, they do transition. This is frightening what he can put down though. I mean, as you said, he got paced a bit, but it, it's only just beginning like what he would have taken from that 
would have been frightening. The data that he takes, the understanding that he takes, you know, where he went right and wrong, et cetera, he takes back and all back to the, you know, the Eden lab where he starts to, you know, slice and dice and then figure out what the next thing is. The question I have for you, though, if one Jan Fredino was in that event, what happens, do you reckon? Um, so there you get closer to that. Uh, so here's here's what I'm looking forward to. Um, so Gustav will need, if Gustav is going to go down in history as, you know, one of these greatest evers or whatever, he's got to beat Jan in, in an epic battle, right? And so... Um, that would have been fun to see, like the two of them both both in great shape. I don't I don't, I don't see it changing a whole lot other than Jan um, probably swimming better than everyone there and coming out a few minutes ahead. Um, but I I sort of envision that they all would have got up to Jan. Um, but um, yeah, it would have been very similar on that run, I think. And uh, yeah, you know, it would have just been you know, could Jan break him? Because um, Jan doesn't want to end up sprinting against him, right? So he's got to break him at some point. Um, yeah. And it, uh, so yeah, would have been would have been really truly classic um, to see. Um, there's a there's a gentleman named Lou McCorvey who uh, facebooks me fairly often, and he brought up something that was that I really need to explore a little bit more. And he was talking about um, basically. Uh, wondering how Gustav's going to do in super hot conditions because, um, and I, I didn't even pay any attention to all of this, but according to Lou, um, uh, Gustav's heart rate was quite high through the run, like averaged 161. Um, and basically saying, you know, that's basically an engine that's running too hot to do well in Kona. So I wonder if um, I'm going to explore all of that, but you know, sure. I don't know that St. George is going to be as hot as Kona will be. So um, we could see uh, very different scenarios in St. George and uh, Kona next year in, in those two different worlds. But I think, I, I mean, yes. And, you know, 742 on debut is ridiculous. That's just, that's as you Canadians say, that's nutty. Um Lionel Sanders Especially runs a, with seven. a swim, a swim that was yeah. nine minutes longer than normal, right? Yeah, so you gotta crazy. take so you're looking at 733, 734 as a debut. Um you then 7.48, so you know, six minute adrift is is the colonel. And then Robert Callan, uh, the Swedish lad, he's another, you know, 20 something minutes. But by the time you get to fourth place, there is a spread of 40 plus minutes. Like that's a spread out finish line. That's, you know, that's the, that'll show you where some of these pros are. You know, if you're racing an 826 on a course that's been broken twice on eight hours, then you're a step off. Um, You're a step off, which will show you again the, you know, that elite level and then that, you know, good pro level because the elite level is getting under seven sorry, under eight consistently and then going at sub 750. Um, and then the good levels getting to that eight mark and then anyone else is just, you're an also ran. And I mean that in the nicest way. I, I respect anybody who decides to turn pro, um, you know, like it's a very, very tough thing to do. But wow, if you're run 826 now, you know, even in you get to the top five and 
they're running 826, 827. And Eden's been finished for 40-something minutes. You know, it's a, it's a very spread yeah. field, but it'll tell you where that elite group is now situated, where we're going to see this more often, where, you know, those top two or three guys each race are going to be just so far ahead. It's uh, it's an interesting one. And Ironman PTO, whoever it is, has got to look at this sort of thing to figure out where, you know, our pros are and, and you know, do we not sit there with a couple of categories of pro? Well, you know, they, going back to 1989, um, you know, Welchie was third in that race, but was never a factor, right? So um, this yeah. is not unheard of in in the history uh, of our sport, right? So, I, you know, I'm certainly not trying to take anything away from Welchie, um, but, uh, you know, Mark and Dave were just on another planet uh, that day. Um, was so- Welchie an, an age grouper in that race or not? Uh, no, he was not. So uh, okay. Welchie and I, uh, uh, my one and only time beating Welchie was in 87. Um, <laughs> I'd hang on both, to that. That's uh, awesome. That was, uh, I think I was second in the age group that day. And uh, he was fourth in uh, 18 to 24. And then obviously he went on to uh, a considerably better triathlon career than mine. Um, <laughs> just a little just bit. Just a tiny bit better. But uh, back when uh, back when we used to do the Ironman podcast, I, I usually tried to get that in at least once a podcast. Um, you know, the 1987 epic um, McKinnon Welch showdown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called Aluminium War. I think it was called. <laughs> <laughs> it was there was no even war. I was so out of it. I um, I actually. Um, I think down the finishing street, I, I sort of said to uh, the winner of my age group, go ahead. So like yeah. it was, I was completely. So back then what happened was uh, I think we were both registered, like, you know, quote unquote pros. Um, but uh, they just, um, you, they had the, the top 10 ended up having the pro money and then um, everyone else just got slotted into age, age groups, which they have completely changed around now. But Hey, I raced in the dark ages. What can we say? Well, you did, and uh, I never got there at all, so I would have been sitting there watching you. Um, In saying that, uh, let's push on to Abu Dhabi. Sprint race. Love a sprint race. Who doesn't love a sprint race? The Olympic distance, no. Sprint racing is where it's at. So much more action. Uh, well, certainly uh, tons of fun to to watch this one. Um, and, uh, you know, Flora Duffy is the real deal. You know, no wonder they uh, have a national holiday named after her now. Do you, know, do you know what I love about Flora Duffy um, is that, you know, after winning a gold medal, you could be just sitting on them, one of those beautiful beaches in Bermuda going, oh, it's me, I'm done, you know. But she comes out to race and she doesn't just come out to race. She comes out to be the Olympic champion. I love it. It's the, again, I'll bring up a cycling kind of, you know, analogy here. It's, it's you know, the way the yellow jersey used to ride prior to it all being sort of a bit more corrupted and stuff. But the yellow jersey used to ride with that authority, you know. They used to have the you know, you were the, the best bike rider in that race and you rode with authority and guys like Laurent Fignon and those guys in the 80s would would certainly ride with that sort of stamp and air of authority. 
Um, and that's how she races. She races like an Olympic champion. She races like she's the best in the world and uh, that she's come off a, a phenomenal year. Um, and the two things I like is, A, how she races. And the second thing I love is how Bermuda gets behind her. That country, oh, my goodness, they love her so hard at the moment. And I love it because we have long – watched professionals bust their asses for very little reward and now she is obviously a household name in bermuda but you know it's so well deserved that every time she races and wins they go nuts and we love it yeah well and it's it's a little easier to be a household name in a country with sixty thousand people um so yeah, yeah, but it's fact, like in Canada with only 24 televisions amongst the population. <laughs> it's hard for them to see things. Have you guys yeah, got no, internet absolutely. yet? Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, somebody else wants to watch a different channel and, you know, <laughs> like, and then we go outside and have a. And so you get into a big fight and. Well, yeah, slappy so fight. Get, you know, a lot. And then you have to wait until the newspaper comes the next day to be able to see anything because, you know, internet coverage is so limited. Yeah, hey, watching it's, it's watching um, watching two Canadians having a fight would be the funniest thing in the world. It'd be the politest fight you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> slappy fight. Um, so yeah, so she's done obviously sensationally well. Um, Taylor Nib though is the other one who, yeah, like she's like, the one to watch. <laughs> I I had the funnest interview with her at the Collins Cup. I've got to get it all. Um, written up i'm i'm thinking feature for our uh our march issue of the magazine the next one that's coming out and um yeah just a real character um and i just hope she keeps this sort of fun loving go for it attitude um throughout her triathlon career because it it's really exciting you know it was just so funny because she's so strong right like and and so she's just powering away and then realizes okay no i'm not i haven't dropped anyone okay i'll i'll just move over to the side now and she you know flicks <laughs> flicks the elbow okay somebody else comes through and they're like yeah no <laughs> Thank exactly you. like you're way too strong you want to keep doing this you can just stay at the front and so she finally i don't know if you watched any of it but she finally had to pull way over the side and pretty much come to a stop before she could get the rest of the, the rest of the girls in that lead group to to pull through, so um, just so funny how strong she is on the bike. And I was I was sort of expecting um, Flora to to set things up so that the two of them can do a little breakaway, but I guess Flora is just so confident with her running right now that um, she doesn't need to do that. Doesn't need to take those chance those chances. No, and nor would you. I mean, you know, like when you've got that run leg in your back pocket and you've obviously worked so hard to get it to that point, then and and the sport, you know, has been in the women's field, you know, has been dominated by those women who could run so well. You know, you're thinking of Jorgensen, Snow Sill, Fernandez, you know, all those uh women were such good runners. Um it just really plays into the into them that style of racing to get off the bike and being able to power through, and that's what we saw in the Olympics. You know, it's yeah. yeah. But I think the difference the difference is that those guys would be um, running out of a monstrous group. Flora, what Flora has done is she's changed it so the bike does matter, right? So so she's culling it down to a group of two or three or four in this case five. Um, and uh, that to me is really cool, right? So 
so the bike still matters. The swim still matters. Like you can't just be a great runner. And, and, you know, you, you look at, um, uh, Cassandra Beaugrand ran her way. Like she was the fastest of the chase group and the best she could get was sixth. Right. That is the way it's supposed to work. Right. Like if you're not there on the, on the swim and the bike, then, you know, you shouldn't be a factor for the win. No, I hundred percent. And you, and you, you, you've got to be there. Um, and I guess in all phases, uh, we saw a lot of, um, we did see some names though, who showed up to Abu Dhabi, which was nice too, that, you know, she was getting, um, some good athletes there. It wasn't just a, you know, I don't like a rubber stamp victory. Uh, Charles Barclay, what did you think of her effort? So, yeah, no, no, I thought very solid, interesting. I'm, I'm, it sort of hit home to me the importance of position on the pontoon, right? So she was, she had a really crazy low number. Um, and so would have had a really crappy position on the pontoon. And um, so surprising that, or, you know, I was a little surprised that she, still wasn't able to swim her way to the front. Um, but, um, you know, I thought had a, uh, she's obviously got to work on those bike handling skills, right? Like it's just, uh, it's just so it was, I was like, come on, Lucy, you got to stay with those guys. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, but hats off to her. Holy crap. Uh, biking all by yourself. Um, she loses a minute to the, uh, to the lead group which is, you know, five of the best cyclists in the sport and still holds off the uh, chase pack by 45 seconds. So, you know, hats off to her, uh, but she's obviously got to work on those bike handling skills. Um, if she wants to, you know, if she wants to go to Paris and she wants to contend. Um, but here's what the other takeaway that I take uh, from that race. Holy jumping are the British ever strong. No, like, don't stop me. It hurts me. It, like I think she was she the fifth fifth British athlete or something and and she was you know twelfth uh, overall like yeah, it's crazy just absolutely insane yeah I don't know I mean it it really is I feel at the moment that there is a real um, in at least in Australia that you know we we are so far behind anybody doing anything I feel that um, you know and this is whatever Emma Carney's up to and everything else and try, I just feel that we are so far behind and you kind of feel like the energy has been put, you know, into the longer distance stuff. Whereas they're UK, they're all in, they are all in because they've got this raft of women who are dominant and they can pull a team that no one else in the world can. It's uh, it's frightening how good they are. And I hate saying that because I'm not a fan of much that they get up to over there in London town. So, uh, yeah, and sorry, I need to just correct myself. I think she was seventh. So you've got Georgia Taylor-Brown second, Sophie Caldwell third, Jessica Learmont fourth. Uh, then you've got Beth Potter seventh, non-Stanford eighth, um, Vicky Holland tenth, and then Lucy Charles Barkley twelfth. So, yeah, you're you're uh, tenth in the world and only sixth in your country if you're uh, Vicky Holland right now. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's like an American trying to make the 4x100 in the track or the, you know, Australian swim team. You know, you'd be a very good swimmer and still be sitting fifth wheel on the uh, in anything. Um, it's it's a tough one. And 
I mean, it's a nice problem, but again, they're going to, if you're in that group of women, Kevin, do you stick around? You know, is she, is Lucy Charles Barclay going to be up against it to a point where it doesn't make sense to continue? I mean, obviously with the longer stuff, it becomes a little bit more in her favor due to the longer swim, et cetera. But how do you break into that? Yeah, well, I think she, I think she showed that uh, she's just some bike handling skills away from breaking into the into that group. So, um, yeah, I, I, it'll be very interesting to see what uh, Lucy Charles Barkley ends up doing. Like, I think she has that Olympic dream. Um, you know, she, she uh, was fourth. Uh, like, there were four women in in twenty twelve gunning after the open water swim slot and she ended up not making that only one woman was allowed to go. And she, you know, there were four of them who are dueling for that. So I think that has stuck with her and she really wants to get that Olympics done. But, um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made for Lucy Charles Barkley in the Ironman and Ironman 70.3 world over the next three years. So oh, um, and, but she's one of the, it'll be the, very interesting to see how she uh, juggles all of that. Yeah, she's the pro's pro for for women. She is the best triathlete in the world for the women's. I think Fredino holds the men's crown. But, you know, for everything she does on the socials and everything else, she is uh, well and truly out in front of anybody. Uh, In the men's race, you know, what did you make of it? I kind of thought that um, we would see uh, Louis finishing up. Um, but wasn't to be close, but not, not. Yeah. Not you know, I think, uh, Vincent Louise had a, you know, sort of a tough year. Uh, um, I didn't, you know, he was injured in, in Tokyo and sort of coming back from that, but you know, he, it was great seeing his post-race interview, you know, I'm so happy for Hella. I like, I've had a really tough year, but his has been even tougher. Um, so, um, you know, it, I I think he put himself in the right spot, but you know, Helikins was he just had so much that he had to prove. You know, that wanted to show that he could have been a, a factor in the Olympics, and and um, so you know, just one of those days or one of those scenarios where he just wanted it that much more than everyone else. So, a lot and driving that- there. I thought it was a very exciting race, and. Uh, you know, same, you know, same kind of dynamics as the women, just a bigger front group, right? So 17, um, 17 uh, in that front group on the bike. And, um, you know, that's where the winners all came from. So if you can't swim, um, can't swim up in that lead group and get up uh, and bike fast enough, you're just not going to win those races. No, 100%. And that's uh, that will probably be the last word on this one. Um, Forty-two minutes, not bad. Okay. And now, Kevin, I uh, hope you get better from whatever disease you're suffering. Um, you know, some weird Canadian stuff that you've got: moose disease, maple disease. Um, God, I'm just I'm about to get thrashed by a million Canadians, and I deserve it. Uh, you can find Kevin residing. Uh, the beautiful Triathlon Magazine, uh, Canada. You can find him there making sure all things hit the newsstands before anybody else. I can be found sludging it out at uh, Life of Try on Instagram 
um, make sure you tell your friends and we thank you for your support and listening to us uh, consistently and putting up with um, my ridiculous rants about all things, including dual climate controls in cars. Uh, Kevin, have a wonderful week. Look forward to catching up you with you in, uh, in a few days' time. Sounds great. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try. <laughs>